Welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. Today, we have another legend of a guest returning. It is Wade Letham. Now, Letham, right? Latham. Latham. See, I'm, I, I have my own uh, verbal dyslexia. Uh, okay, so we're going to tell you a little bit about Wade and what you can um, expect to get from this podcast. Well, first, uh, do you want to cut to the middle camera? We're going to show you this is our durian. Um, for all of you out there that have never had durian or know how to open durian, uh, we'll do that a little bit later in the podcast, probably around the 30-minute mark. We're going to try to keep this under an hour. Um, now, Wade has been on a previous podcast. I'm going to put that link in the description. And that podcast is purely about escaping the matrix. Um, Wade left his 9 to 5. He had those issues during you know, the past uh, situation. We used to call it the current situation. And he went off to build his own rural farm using agroforestry techniques, basically taking barren land and turning it into, you know, a self-sufficient and being, being able to feed his family on his own land. And you're going to learn all about that in a previous episode, which the link is going to be in the description. Today, we're going to be catching up with Wade and just understanding how have things changed since the last time he's been on. What actually happened to his farm? And there's a bit of a disaster. So I think you probably saw that in the teaser. And you're going to find out exactly what happened. Now, we did an episode with Wade and Ryan from Life in Bamboo. So that link will be in the description as well. If you want to actually see what happened on Wade's farm, exactly you know, from that perspective. And Ryan did some uh, amazing jobs amazing job telling that story and especially seeing all the drone footage and his land and this big disaster that happened there now if you want to know who we are fruiting body podcast is a medicinal mushroom supplement company located on the island of phuket we're doing stuff like lion's mane cordyceps reishi uh, chaga turkey tail um, and mushroom complexes currently you can find us at fruiting-body.com but we're only selling on lazada shortly it should be on spot spotify so we'll be doing international shipping as well for that um i think oh don't forget like and subscribe hit the bell notification and if you're tired of me rambling and going on and on about the intro to this podcast we got timestamps below so you can check out chapters you can navigate the podcast and find the content that might interest you so, without further ado, let's get this podcast started and welcome welcome Wade back to the podcast. Okay, Wade, thanks for joining us. Thanks that's a it's the long speech at the beginning. That was uh that's quite something. Yeah. It's I don't know, probably what was that about a minute? Maybe a minute and a half. You like on WWE. Yeah. Well, I try to speak as fast as I can to get it all crammed in there of what we're about, what's going on, uh, especially with new people coming to watch. Um, so let's Kick it right from the beginning. Again, if people, you want to go watch Wade's old podcast, link in the description. It's all about his life story. Today, let's talk about what's changed on the farm. What is this big disaster that's happened? And talk a little bit of those lessons learned that you've had probably over the past two years or year and a half since you've been on. Yeah, well, I think last time I was here was in the middle of uh, COVID, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, so I basically, we moved on to a rural property um, cause I had some hotels in Batong and they, that all kind of got closed. And, um, so yeah, just wanted a more, um, relaxed, slow lifestyle, more independence, you know, so we got to this rural place and I haven't changed so much, but the islands changed a lot, you know, the COVID basically finished. And so starting November one, 
the whole island just opened up, you know, because of the, the restrictions were done. And so much, so many people and so much money came flooding into the island. Um, and it was, it was crazy here. There was, it was so busy. My business picked up my, my property management business. And, um, and then all these Russians started buying property here, buying villas. And in fact, there was no villas left to buy. And, um, so people have been buying land and, and developing property and, and building villas. And, and that's basically what happened to my property. It was, um, the owner of the land actually is developing it into villas. You know, it doesn't make much sense to rent it to me because I'm not paying that much, you know, but these villas you can sell a small portion of land for close to a million dollars, you know, us. Yeah. You, you had, I visited prop. Well, for the first time I visited would have been like two years ago and you had this own like utopia going on there. There was a couple Thai families. It was gorgeous. Mm. And the, I showed up maybe two, three weeks ago with Ryan and they're pretty much ripping the whole thing apart. So what happened to the Thais and the locals that were living there? Well, they had to go, you know, it's, um, they had to move in a construction, um, construction team and, and they have their own labor there that lives there. So they built, you know, these, I call them like Burmese shacks. So they're just aluminum siding and they have one bathroom, like outdoor bathroom that they share. So this is kind of all happening in the back of my, behind my house really. And um, yeah, they built a little sales office and they, they built a road and they got a bunch of marketing material, like what it's going to look like in the future. And that, so, that, that love, well, I guess we want the, what is it? The, the lake. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, so it looks really nice in the photos, but right now it's a huge, big-time mess, you know? So I'm, and I'm kind of in the middle of that, which is, um, it's different, you know, but it's it's just what's happened during, I, th I think during this whole situation, people have come to Thailand, come to Phuket specifically, and seen how how beautiful it is here, you know, how relaxed and and chill and how how you have everything here. You know, you have beaches, you have malls, and the lifestyle is just amazing. So people want to live here, you know. But do you notice, like, I felt the Russians kind of came in here during uh, Christmas time and whatnot, in December, and they pretty much just came in and just started buying everything way over market price. But now with the rainy season coming in, do, do you notice that that's kind of faded away? For sure, for sure. There was there was some Russians that came, like even before it opened up and to escape the war, I think, and they rented like places long-term, just like small apartments. And then a different wave of Russians came in like December, Jan November, December, January. They had, they had a lot of money. You know, they were renting villas for, some people were paying like a million baht a month for some villas in Trentelay. And you're talking like double the value. Yeah, more, you know, it's that's that's a lot of money you know, for one month at a villa. And uh, so, yeah, they've, most of them have gone back now. And, and the island goes in these waves, you know, so everybody's getting ready for this next wave, which may or may not come. It's probably coming, you know. In terms of like property development and whatnot. Well, they're developing now, but they're expecting to sell it when everybody comes on holidays and they just go boom, boom, boom. And then people yeah. come, they're like, oh, you know, I'm paying a million baht a month for a rental. Why not pay... 15, 20, 30 million and buy one. 
Yeah, and, and now on your property side, when I, I was visiting, um, again, a couple of weeks ago with Ryan, um, they pretty much just kind of, it's more like conceptual. Like, this is what it's going to look like. Mm. They're starting to clear the land, but actual development hasn't started, has it? They're, they're, no. Can you explain a bit on the how the property developers work on that side, where they're pretty much just selling an idea to get the investment to do to the development? Yeah. Well, some... Some people don't even own the land, but this guy that's developing it, he owns the land and he's he's got the plots and the designs, the 3D renders and all that stuff. And it's a, there's a lot less risk to it, you know, as a buyer, as opposed to like buying a condo, which hasn't been built because you kind of pay as you go and you see you see what's being built, right? If So you pay like 10% and then they do the foundation or whatever, and then you pay a little bit more. So if they stop building, you just don't pay. But the funny thing is like these people are coming to see the, to see the area where, where their their villas may be and they're coming down this road and they see me and my children running around my dogs or they're like who who the hell is this guy you know like how is this guy going to fit into where my villas are so long term i'm probably not going to be there you know because i think phase two of the project is my house you know so i think they're going to knock down the house that i'm in you know we'll see how long i have left there depending on how well the sales go and all those things do you think they've sold anything yet because I checked, their price is a bit high for, you know, uh, what's the word they use in property development when it's like, it's like you're buying off the drawing essentially. Yeah, um, off plan. Off plan. Yeah. So have they sold any? I've heard they have, but, you know, when you sell a villa, you only get a certain percentage of it until you actually start building. And a lot of times these salespeople will say they've, they've sold a lot when actually they haven't because they're trying to get that urgency going. You know, like, oh, you know, we only have one left. So, but you know, that's not really the case. Yeah. Have you, when did they first start to set up? How long ago was that? Um, can't remember the exact date. Maybe, maybe December or something. I'm not sure. And it doesn't look like they've done too much work. They've set up the Burmese camp. They've cleared some land. Yeah. But I haven't seen them break ground or anything. Yeah. I think, I think they need to build something. I think they need to build a villa so people can see, you know, what it's actually going to look like. Cause it's so easy to just put it on paper and sell it, but you actually have something physical and real. You know, there's a lot of big developers like Botanica and Anchan. They've built a lot of properties and people know what they're going to get, but this developer is completely new as far as I know. Uh, and there's risk there attached yeah. to it, but Hey, we won't go too much into that because uh, just a quick shout out to five star Marine and Sean Stenning five star Marine. They're a sponsor on this podcast. So they're just helping us with the production and allowing us to make this content on a week to week ba basis to give it back to you guys, telling you these stories about people living, not just in Phuket, but in Thailand. Uh, if you want to go check them out, it's on Instagram at five star Marine Phuket I will also leave links in the description. A little bit about who they are. They are a VIP private char uh, speedboat chartered tour on the island of Phuket. So they're taking you to places like Koh Lipe, Krabi, Pangna Bay. Uh, you have complete control over your own trip, which most of other services are not authoring that. Oh, sorry, offering that. So Hans will probably throw up a QR code. You can scan that as well. Or links are in the, in the descriptions. Go check them out. Let them know if we sent you there. It just helps us grow this podcast. So let's get back to the podcast now. Wade's still got to live there. For sure. um, did you expect this to happen when you first moved in? I mean, you're leaving Patong. You're, you found your, your it was barren land and, and right. brought it to life. Did you expect 
did that risk of three years down the road that potentially you could get kicked off as well? Well, it's good and bad. You know, the reason I'm getting kicked off is because of all this, the world has gone back to normal, right? So if, if things were still crazy in the world, I would be living a good, quiet life there. But now things are back. You know, I could always go further away or, or something, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's the area that I'm in, it's very rural, but it's so close to this Trentale and Laguna and this expensive area. Right. So it was a piece of paradise. I didn't, I didn't think I would have it forever. No, but, um, what can you do now? What was your reaction when you got the news or how did the news even come? Uh, it just all came kind of overnight and they put up signs and they started clearing the land. Um, but you know, I don't have any right to be upset or anything like that. So I just take it all in good spirits, you know, and me and the developer, you know, he tells me every day, he's like, he sees me with my dogs. He's like, you're living my dream life. That's what he says to me. (laughs) And he's driving like a, a BMW, a brand new BMW, you know? I mean, maybe he's so tied up in his own business, he can't even escape that uh, as of yet. I mean, he would probably love to sell it all. For sure. Who knows? But um, yeah, every time like a Thai taxi driver comes, he's like, this is your home. Like, this is my dream. This is what they tell me. Because they can see like, this is how a lot of people grew up. A lot of Thais grew up, I believe, you know. And uh, now they've come here and they're they're here only for the money, you know. So they're living in like a small apartment. Like very few people actually have big homes here, you know, with Mm -hmm. land. You got to be quite wealthy i think especially for a tie they you know you said they kind of just came and started putting up signs was there a letter a warning or just one day they show up and they're just like you know this is happening and sorry we didn't tell you no there's no warning but like i said it's not your it's i don't deserve a warning it's not like they kicked me out of my house or anything this is happening behind my house Mm. you know and and my house is probably phase two. So they'll probably give me a warning for that. Or my lease will just expire and there, and I'll have to go. When does that expire? I think I have like maybe eight months or something left. So when this happened in December, were the wheels spinning? Hmm, where's next? Have you been looking? Um, yeah, we have looked a little bit. Have looked a little bit. But um, I've been... Since the island opened up, I've been really busy with my my property management company, you know, so a lot of my time's taken up. And a few of the things that I've learned is it takes a lot of time to do a farm, you know, depending on what you're what you're growing. So it's like a full time gig, you know, it's not something you really do on the side. So it's. Um, it's quite it's quite difficult to kind of do working full time running a company. Is it, is there a long-term goal where you could, you know, remove yourself from that business and maybe end up getting land up in Pangna and starting and just going full-time self-sufficient on your own farm? For sure. I think that's, that's the goal. Um, Maybe not a hundred percent self-sufficiency, but you know, I'd love, be loving to grow my own durians or mangoes or rambutans. I think that's like the dream life, you know? And, uh, yeah, Pangna looks, or somewhere in Phuket, a little more north would be probably cheaper. Well, especially with all the development up at Natai and the Aquela, I think that's Aquela Golf Course. Mm-hmm. It seems like an airport's probably coming in, and I, I think I explained to you, we're, I'm planning to buy land there and, 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 and Pangna City. 
But I mean, taking your, would you maybe expanding the property development company to those areas as property comes in and, and then getting your land out there? Is that an option? Oh, like, um, like now you, you would be leaving maybe, or maybe having someone manage your clients down here and you can start another like division of property development up in, uh, Pangna area yeah. because a lot of property is being developed up there. Yeah. Well, we're, we just started doing property, um, development. We've been doing property management. Yeah. This I mean, whole time. sorry. I mean, property yeah. management. So up there is very like, once you, once you cross the bridge or even once you go, kind of past the airport it's super rural you know so managing property up there is a completely different ball game you know there's no condos people are actually living in their houses so they don't need a, a property management company really up up there you drive and you don't even see a 7-eleven for a long time you know so it's the life up there i can only imagine is a lot a lot different than than in phuket but you know you go up there you see the land prices and you imagine what you could build Right. So people are building villas here for like 20, 30 million bot. They're selling it for. Well, if 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 someone had that budget up there, now you're getting like acres of land. You've got a beautiful view. You also have a very beautiful house. And nobody's really built anything like that up there. You know, so I think these property developers, whether it's me or somebody else, will go up there, you know, and it will. um It'll be interesting to see what kind of comes to the market over there because it's kind of the philosophy. It's like you build it and they will come, you know? Yeah. A lot of people would live up there. Well, I think they're they're doing some like 60 million bought villas, mansions up by uh, Aquila, the, the new golf course. Um, and I have a feeling like that whole Baba Beach Club area as well. It's It's got that like Tulum style. I think that's going to be the next phase of the Phuket to Pangna area. I think, I think the airport's coming. I don't know if I'm going to get shot for this, but there has to be inside information. Why are people building golf courses, 60 million bought villas? Uh, you got Baba Beach Club. They must know the airport's coming and they're kind of getting positioned way before the news. It's like kind of by the news. For sure. That's what I think. It makes no sense. Why would you develop this without an airport coming? And I think it's going, to, I, what I did is I pulled up a map yesterday on Google Maps and just look at the mountain ranges. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge flat zone right by that golf course. And that's where the mountain, that's where you would cross from that area over to Kalak. That's, that's where the airport's going. Yeah. You need to land an airplane. There's, there's too many mountains too close from the bridge, from our airport to the bridge. And also, why would you have an airport so close to the Phuket airport? For sure. So I think it's going to be pretty much by the golf course. And I was talking to a friend about this as well. He said, this is how Laguna is built. The whole Chuntalay Laguna area mm -hmm. was built around the golf course 20 years ago. The golf course comes first, then the houses, then your villa markets, then your restaurants, For then sure. your communities. For sure. So he thinks that's probably what's going to happen. For sure. It's like, it's, it's like that area. Phuket doesn't have anything geographically that's more beautiful than that area very much maybe a couple more beaches or something but it's the beaches like your surins and you're not the yeah. beaches are better here yeah but you know that that area has other things you know what i mean the only thing it's missing is an airport and also development right so you just have more activities more amenities and people would love to go there you know so yeah i think what's nice about up there it actually has more of a thailand feel mm -hmm. meaning um it just feels a bit more, you know, you're connected to Thailand. Also, the waterfalls up there are way better than down here. Sure. And now you're you're building off 
you're building off the uh, off the island. Now you're much closer to day trips to the Surin Islands, Samelian, cross the mountain over to Pangna City. You got whitewater rafting, you got ATVing. Now you're only two hours to Kausok. You're only an hour and 20 to rally. Uh, and you're probably two and a half, two to the Koh Samui Donsak Ferry. I think Pangna is actually better than Phuket mm. and for the reason of central location. We're, us living in Phuket, Koh Samui does not become a weekend trip. It's too far. Yeah. From Pangna, now it becomes an option. You could leave, let's say, Friday morning, mm -hmm. get on, leave at 6 a.m. Friday mo morning from Pangna City. You're probably at Tonsak by 8 a.m. You're probably on the ferry at 9. You're in your hotel before lunch in Koh Samui. You can't do that from Phuket. For sure. It's an extra two hours. It, now right. it turns into an eight-hour travel day instead of a four. For sure. Maybe four and a half. So. Yeah, it's interesting to see. And Krabi is beautiful too, those oh, mountains there. Gorgeous. Yeah. I don't think I would want to live in Krabi though. Right. Because now Krabi is quite far from everything. Mm. But like I'm saying with Pangna, you yeah, got... If Pangna is more central than more Phuket. Yeah. Way more central yeah. than Phuket. Again, Surin Islands, Kalak to Samelian, you got Kausak up there. Actually, even uh, Kopangyam at the Renam border becomes an option now. Mm. You're only three hours, maybe right. four. Well, my, me and my family, we're going to drive to Malaysia because they have good um, durians in Penang. Yeah. And I think it's like a nine, 10 hour drive. But from Pangna, it's, you know, probably seven, eight hours, maybe six, yeah, seven. Much closer. So, yeah, you just have better better access to everything, really. Anyways, I didn't, I didn't want to share all this information with too many people because I think this is the next move and that's our plan. I just want to, my plan is to buy land in Pangna. I don't need to develop it. Buying land in a home in Pangna right now is a bit of risk because you know how it is. I mean, you. why don't you speak on that? If I buy a home in Phuket mm -hmm. for an investment, a villa, sure. and I don't live in it and I just leave it, what what's going to happen to it? Well, it would go into disrepair. You know what I mean? It would be, it would be a disaster because the humidity and the sun and, um, yeah, it just... You wouldn't be able to live in it. What what typically, I mean, as property management, like what's your your job? Do you are you is it just putting people in to make sure that it's staying it's renting? Like what happens to someone that has a villa that they can't rent it out and it stays empty for six months? Or do you have to go in there and like flush the toilets, clean the house, turn on the air cons? Yeah. Well, the worst thing you can do for a place is not have anybody in it. You know. So that's what I always tell you know these um, the owners that that come to me that work with me. And um, when you have customers moving through, they let you know any problems, you know, like they let you know when the AC breaks or um, something's wrong. That would be really difficult for you to see just sending your maids in there. And um, but, yeah, it's it's interesting if there's probably not much of a rental market up there or maybe there is, you know, with Airbnb and stuff, you can have a very unique property and have customers there. But there's probably no companies up there that can manage it for you. So. But it, somebody's got to do it. You know what I mean? Like Laguna, if you go th through Laguna now, they're able, they've got so much land, they're able to build these condos without actually buying any extra land. And they're selling it for six, seven million bought a condo. Imagine how much money these guys are making. It's crazy. So that's probably going to happen up there. You just have to wait a long time. Well, I think you, you have to have the balls to be the pioneer expat. The biggest issue, I think, for any expat, and that's what I've always questioned myself. It's like, I say I go to Pangna City, I build a house, 
I think I think Pangna City is one of the most gorgeous places in Thailand. I think it's it's stunning. But you're going to go there as the first expat pioneer. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have your uh, well for me, you know, you, there's no Japanese, there's no mm. there's no barbecue, there's no steakhouse. So you're going to have to live pretty rugged as an expat like Thai style essentially. You're not going to have an expat community. And there, there'll be a few guys up there. But it's you're it gonna be like come. a twenty minute, thirty minute drive. There is guys up there. You just gotta, they're they're way more spread out, you know. Yeah. And you gotta you gotta actually go and to their house and meet them. You know, I did look at land up there. A realtor showed me around, and I met a Canadian guy, and um, she did tell me there's a lot of people from Phuket that have moved, bought, purchased land up there and done things. What was he doing up there? He was developing his property. He was building. He was from like Toronto or something. I can't. Yeah, he was just building a house. You know, he was a, there's a, he was a pretty interesting guy. I, I can't quite remember him exactly, but okay, let's let's jump into the 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 lessons learned from agroforestry. Um, now, the first time I came to visit you at the farm, it was after this podcast, and you were kind of showing me the you were learning as you were going, right. So you're teaching me, okay, you know, if I want to grow this mango tree, first we have to start with this plant to protect it from the shade. And you're learning along the way. For sure. Can you share some, if anyone out there is looking to, again, get their own property, learn agroforestry, what are some of like the top lessons you learned? What would have you have done different? Um, and anything you can kind of just share on, sure. on that? Sure. Well, there's so much, you know, I couldn't put it all into one clip here, but there was one good book that I read called, uh, I think it was called Tropical Fruit Gardening or something. It was because, you know, there's not much information on gardening or planting, making a garden in the tropics, especially a food garden. That's mostly like in temperate climates like Canada and the U.S. So I found this one book that was from northern Australia where it's the same climate as us. And it talked about the two seasons that we have. We have a wet season and we have a dry season. And there's things that you can grow in each season. And you get, there's a lot of things that cross over, but it's just more difficult. You know, so you really want to work with the season. So when it's really rainy, you know, you can't grow tomatoes. You can't grow watermelons because it's just too much water, too many bugs. But in dry season, you can grow watermelons because you can control the water. You can grow tomatoes. And in wet season, you can grow sweet potatoes. Sweet, potato, sweet potatoes go like crazy. And uh, bananas, you know, bananas need um, need a lot of water, you know. And when we run out of water in Phuket for those couple months, you're not going to have much bananas. They're not going to have much success. But um, so if you keep it, if you keep the bananas kind of around your house where you can feed it, you know, you can you can water them a little bit, then it, then it works. So. And then also there's the agroforestry. You know, there's a YouTube channel people can go to. It's called Agroforestry Academy. And they're all about gardening in the, in the tropics. And, and basically, it's just about planting in succession, right? So you can, durians, for example, take like seven years to grow a durian tree. But you don't need to wait seven years to get a yield from your property. You can be growing pineapples. You can be growing bananas, sweet potatoes. And this helps... The, the trees grow right because they like an ecosystem they like other plants around them and like rambutans for example when they're young they don't want direct sunlight you know so you have to keep them shaded and if you keep them shaded with bananas 
that's perfect. You know, so I have one rambutan in my backyard. It's growing under the bananas and it's about this tall now, but I've got a couple of yields from the bananas as that's been growing, you know? So by the time it's mature, there'll be no space for the bananas anymore. And then it'll be tall enough that it can receive direct sunlight. So it's just things like this, you know, and there's just not that much information in the tropics about how to do this stuff, you know? So it was kind of like, a, um, or had to dig up a lot of this stuff. Do you think there is Thai information, maybe Thai videos in YouTube that, that, um, just obviously because of the language barrier, the Thais have? just know this stuff, you know, they don't need to be, they already know how to do all this, you know, they just, it's a translation thing. And they do have one kind of near my house there. They have some, um, can't even remember the name of it, but it's a, it's like a, a, a center for ties to come and learn how to grow sustainably. And they should, and I see what they do, and they do a lot of the same things that I do, you know, interplanting things and this kind of stuff. Were you learning a lot from the people that were living on, the Thais living on your land? Were they teaching you stuff? Um, a little bit, a little bit. Like, I saw what they did, you know, and they always do things for a reason. And, um, but yeah, you have to use your time and your energy wisely because it's, you can't really work in the middle of the day on the farm because it's just too damn hot. You got to work in the morning and the evenings. And so you don't, and we don't have these long days like in the West in the summertime. You, it's like light until like 9 p.m. And you can work all day in your farm. Here you only can work a couple days, hours in the morning, a couple hours at night at most because it's just too hot. It takes so too much energy. What's, what's your schedule? Should, should just push that mic in a bit. That's okay. What's your schedule typically like when you're working your farm? Well, I, I'm I'm not working much on it at all anymore, you know, because I'm because I have this business that requires so much time. Um, I had another child after this last podcast, um, and then the fact that the property is going to be developed, right, is it's discouraging. You know, I'm not going to how much time am I going to put into somebody else's property? <laughs> They're not even going to look after it. They're just going to knock it down and build villas, right? So I just have like just around my house, I just have bananas and I have. Some, like I planted one jackfruit from seed, which is like almost double my height now. And it's pretty cool to see that. But I'm not going to be planting any more trees just because it's like no point. Even just for the learning experience? Um, no, because I, I just don't think I have that much time, you know. Yeah, if you and, eight months and... And, and this, yeah. It's like these Burmese guys that are living behind my house. I had some bananas growing and they stole the bananas. They cut it down and took my bananas. So I was like, oh my God. How do you confront them at that point? Or they're just kind of like, hey, we didn't know they're yours. Uh, no, I did tell my landlord and he, he let them know that don't steal my bananas anymore. But um, things, a lot of things have gone missing from my, around my house. But because I think they think it's just like it's in the public domain. You know, you, you read a lot about... Um, you read this one book about how to build a house in Thailand. And one of the things I, I read in there is construction materials. They Thais think that's kind of like just in the public domain that they can steal it, like no problem. And so things have gone missing around my house for sure. Tools or just yeah. material laying around? For sure. Yeah. And do you see it being used around the area or like, wait a minute? No, I don't see it, but I'm, I'm sure it is getting good use. No, it is what it, it is. What it is. Um, now, let's talk about durian. We're going to open some, and I think most Ferengs here, I, at first I, I did not like durian. I got used to it mostly 
I, I guess the best way was I started to freeze it and eat it at night like ice cream, and then I think it's great. But again, at first, I, I was not a fan. Now, before we get we get into opening it and showing people how to open it and, um, you know, maybe the expression on our face, definitely PJ in the back is not going to be eating it. Um, talk about the, the durian... Uh, the durian tree, what goes into planting it, maintaining it, what's the life cycle about it? And just in general, um, let's let's focus on durian. Sure. So, I mean, it's it's just a cash crop right now in Thailand and throughout the world. You know, you can only grow it in the tropics. And it's a huge tree. It's It's like it grows to be the tallest tree in the forest, you know. So they have it in the in the mountains of Phuket. And that's where these are from. We're in we're in peak durian season now. And um, I just believe that there's so much nutrients in these things because the trees are so old, they're so big, and they drop these beautiful fruits, right? And they taste amazing. They're really, um, they're really just delicious. And uh, I just think it's the most amazing thing. But you're saying now if you, if you grew a durian tree at your own farm, it's going to take seven years before it fruits. Yeah, at least. And they're not the easiest things to grow. You know, you need to have really fertile ground. They like to be grown on a hillside because when a lot of water comes, it, it it's easily drained off. They don't like having wet feet, basically. Mm. And, um, yeah, so not an easy fruit at all to grow. Would you be able to purchase, like, you know, a mature uh, a durian tree and then plant it in your home if you are to, like... not a Not a mature one, but maybe one that's, like five feet tall or something you can get and plant it. So you get to skip a couple of years. That would, and then you're still waiting another five for it to fruit. At least, um, yeah. Talking about the, the, the fruiting process of a mature durian tree, what is the yield? What can we expect to get off it? Well, I think it depends, but um, I think some people get like, a, you know, 50 kilos a season or 200 kilos, you know, depending on how big it is. If you grow them from seed, they grow a lot bigger. And then just how healthy it is. Um, but, but yeah, the price, these ones are only 50 baht a kilo, right? But some of them you buy on the road when it's certain varieties go for like 200, 250 baht a kilo. Okay, so let's, I and guess let's pull up, uh, which one do, do we Maybe the small one. I yeah. think it's probably easier. Yeah, we'll grab the, the smaller one. And if anyone's listening on audio, I mean... Still looks like a typical durian, but it's probably like the smaller than the size of a volleyball. So it's super spiky, first of all, right? And it's like um, everyone's like, push your mic in a bit. Yeah, I don't know how you can balance. That. That's okay. Um, I do this all the time, right? I'm just so I might make can, a little mess. Can, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Can you explain like how if we get this, like what is the right process to opening it? Okay, we're gonna cut this. Well, stem these off. ones, these durian bonds from Phuket, you want to open from the bottom. Yeah, and and sometimes they just twist open. Right. Are you looking for like a crack in it to be able to go in or? Well, there's just, they have a little knob at the bottom yeah, and it just pops right open. But some are really difficult. Normally I have a rag to kind of protect my hand, which is what you really should have. I'll <laughs> just do it on my. I don't cut yourself. Can I use this cushion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. Okay. So it's popped so it just open. popped open right easy. One sec. All right. He's going to open it up on camera. Oh, um, oh yeah. This is a nice one. There we go. So it's nice and, uh, so it should be nice and soft. You can see it's perfect. This is a really good one. You see how golden this is? Uh, yeah. How do you know what's good and what's bad? What's, how, what, is there a, 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 so, a, tuss, a test? So it should texture? be soft. 
it should be soft. It should be like the same soft texture all over. There should be no hard parts. And these ones from these durian bonds, they're dropped when they're ripe. So they're not cut and then left to ripen. So this is, you have like one day to eat this. Otherwise it gets too ripe. Okay. You want to go ahead? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so you grabbed. Holy shit. And we were saying before the podcast, what's the fun fucking hell man these are like weapons the the in thailand these were the the leading cause of death yeah fall before motorcycles before motorcycles because they fall on people's heads yeah i mean this thing feels like a weapon so what i'm doing is i'm grabbing a seed right so it's like basically it's three seeds this one's really good do you want one really good back there hey all right um yeah it's very golden can look at that All right. what camera i feel like i'm is that my camera am i looking at the, is this my camera yeah it's very creamy i don't know everyone says it smells like piss here grab that that's uh, like <laughs> um they say it smells like urine i don't know it, i guess it has like a Durian always has a little bit of a fermented taste to it. Some of them. They're, you know, each one's different. That's what makes this whole thing so amazing. So each tree is different. Yeah. And uh, maybe you can film us on Fruiting Body Mushrooms or podcast or semi or whatever. Instagram, I don't know. Mm. It's a good one, right? Pretty good. Oh, yeah, I forgot to, um, while we're eating this durian here. Uh, I'm wearing my, Check Mika's been on the podcast. This is her shirt. I didn't have any shirts today. Um, I'm a bit chubby, but yeah, it's um, if you're this is uh, from Siamese Dreams. Uh, I'll put a link in the YouTube description. Uh, it's great pajama wear. Like again, we're not paid, no, no promotion. It's very comfortable. I wear this around the house because it's so bloody hot in Phuket. So I'll wear this when I'm working at home. Try not to work with the aircon on. The problem we're having now, anyways. Uh, check them out on Instagram, Siamese Dreams. I might start wearing these during the podcast. Sorry if my gut pops out mid podcast. <laughs> Um, but now usually I'll, I'll work with the, the window open and because of the rain, the moisture is all getting into the condo. And because we have the mushroom bottles here, the moisture is getting onto the labels and they're fucking them up. So, oh, yeah. now it's like, I have to work in this condo with no air and, um, yeah, it's that we're going to get out of here soon. There's just no, this is a, this type of condo. It's a shop house. It's meant for an office. You should not live in these things. This is like three floors up right here. Isn't yeah. It? So check this out. This is just mm. crack. Once you get it open, just cracks open. Look at that. Is there more part? There's another part. Yeah. Yeah. There's another half. Holy shit. But this is, check out the, when I press it, the fingerprints, how soft it goes in. That's when you know it's super, super good. When you see wrinkles, oh yeah. Yeah, if you see wrinkles, then you know it's like super, super creamy. Yeah, these ones are very you creamy. Another one? Yeah, sure. Well, you, you got yeah. one in there. There's a or just open this one. Or what do you mean? Oh, here, this one's really good. We should, we should ah, I didn't notice that. Here, bam. Well, that's two seeds, probably. Yeah, right? yeah those are two nuggets there. Let me grab that. So this so is for the audio. People are like, so this is 50 bottles and it's really good. Right. And it's fresh, like dropped naturally from the mountains of Phuket. 
I mean, it doesn't get better than that. The season is only like two weeks long, right? Well, you said they can't export this, right? No. Why is that? Because you got to eat it within like the day. You just move that mic up a bit if you grab it. You got to eat it within the day, really. Um, you're saying, yeah, this so, one you can taste. So, it gets a bit, so tastes like, a bit ferment, a bit sour, but it, I mean, it tastes, it's very creamy. Yeah, it's sweet though, isn't it? A little bit sweet. Yeah. I would say it's very sweet. That's yeah, good. But the ones that you can export are these ones that they cut early. So they cut when they're not ripe and then they export And by the time it gets there, then they're ripe. And those ones, they don't, they're not, they don't compare to this. Mm. Lick my fingers. Don't worry, we're not on camera. Oh, you caught me. Yum. <laughs> um. So, and this one I get from one specific vendor in Phuket, not far from here. Where is it? So I got them on the way here. So I drove from my house on the way here. I skipped a lot of. I saw a lot of durians on the side of the road, but I was like, no, I don't want to get those. I want to get those. I go to the one specific lady between Surin and Kamala on the left hand side. Mm. She's right at the base of the mountain. Her family owns like a bunch of land up there. They're very old trees. And uh, she just has like super good durians. Yeah, that's the, it's like we were talking, you usually see the lady selling beans there. It's probably the same lady. I right across the street, there's one villa called Villa Navia or something. Like heaven spelled backwards or something. Yeah, it's the it's the entrance to the hiking trail that goes up to the top of that mountain. And when you get up to the top there, there's two lakes um, they're gorgeous. And that's the entrance there, yeah? That's, that's I've never the, been up there. That's the entrance. And that's where I was telling you where there's a, you, you I think your dog's got a, a good fight there. <laughs> they got a, they got a ridge back up there. It's not as crazy looking as yours or big, but it's, it's comparable. Oh yeah. And, but it's, it's chained up, but in the mountains, yeah. In the, like right when you walk in that entrance, maybe three, 400 meters in three hundred meters. And you see him up on the mountain chained to the top where his, 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 the hut is. Um, I need to go up there, yeah. He is, yeah, he's intimidating. Some people go hiking, uh, bring a little bit, bring some steak maybe just in case. He'll leave you alone. But uh, he's a he's a big boy. Because like most dogs in Thailand, I'm not afraid of the soy dogs. Right. But the Ridgebacks, that's a, yes, because they're not afraid of you. Right. So you, you need to learn that in Thailand. Like the little soy dogs, you can fake throw a rock or throw a little stone. They're gone. Yeah. They're gone. But a Ridgeback, pff, fuck. Yeah, the Thai Ridgeback is a really great breed, very similar to um, like a, a Doberman. Rock. Like a Doberman, yeah. Yeah, because I had Dobermans before my family had Dobermans, and uh, it's very, very similar. Like, Dobermans are a little more goofy, a little more crazy. This one's, like, strictly business, like, just protecting Yeah. and super loyal. Just love them. Yeah, these dogs, and they're they're intimidating. Like, they kind of have, like, a pit bull, Rottweiler, like, intimidation factors to them. The soy dogs, they give the bark, but their tail's between their legs the yeah. second you get near them. Yeah, yeah. So if you live in Thailand and you and you go down the wrong trail, and I, we've all done it. Mm. Like, I'll be on the motorbike and you end up on a farm. You need to know the difference between a soy dog and a ridgeback. All right. Because, again, you can scare that soy dog off, but don't try to intimidate a ridgeback, especially right. if it's protecting its land. The thing will take... Yeah, the ridgeback is, like, very protective on its land, and it doesn't... Like, these soy dogs will run wherever, who gives them food, all this stuff. But the Ridgebacks will stay on their land, and they will protect it, like, to the end, basically. Yeah, yeah, they, they are scary, scary dogs. That's, especially in Phuket, this area. I stopped doing it, going down random farm roads. Oh, let's check this one out, see where yeah, it yeah. goes. No, stopped that about a, two years ago. I went down one, and there was a Ridgeback. 
and the farmer had to come get it because I, I had to use my motorbike to not get bit. Oh, really? Because they, they, won't, they won't stop until the, uh, the owner actually comes and takes it. So My dog a, is not like that, but the, the people, people stop well before it gets to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let, let's talk about the price in the kilo. So you're, talking, you're saying it's 80 baht a kilo. So that one we just opened, what's the weight of that? It's 80. One, that one was like only, only one kilo, so about 50 baht. So that, that that whole piece is fifty baht. Yeah, and this one's probably maybe two kilos. Let's see, maybe three kilos. This one's this one's got some mud on it from when it fell on the ground. So I don't know if you want to open this or not. It's pretty heavy. It's a big one, real that's big okay. one. That's okay. Let's let's leave <laughs> it for now. Um, and but people need to understand that. Yeah, it's it's one kilo. It's fifty baht. But actual of the fruit we're eating is like. 50 grams or yeah it was, you're not getting much off of it right yeah maybe 30 percent or something no less 20 yeah. i don't know yeah. but it's delicious though here push that in a bit okay so you were primarily on like a fruititarian diet last time you were here and you were eating like a mono diet you would just eat durian or you just eat uh rambutan um how has that diet continued what what was going on with that how did you feel yeah, I felt pretty good. I got I got pretty skinny on it, um, and I think that was just because I wasn't working out or wasn't training. So, I'm definitely exercising more, trying to put on some put on some weight. And uh, but when it's durian season in Phuket, like I only eat this stuff. Like I can't remember something. This has been like my last six seven meals. And, and is this all you're gonna eat all day? Or you said you also you're starting to take protein shakes? Yeah, yeah. I just started having some uh, some protein. Some, uh, so my diet's changed a little bit, you know, cause I'm trying to exercise more, but, um, but yeah, with this durian, I feel like I get everything that I need. It's like in the seasons where there's not much fruit around that I might have to start eating something else, but, but overall I'm feeling pretty good. You know, a lot of energy, mm -hmm. um, mentally sharp. And you're, you're talking, you're saying with the, maybe having too much fruit, you might've been getting cavities. Yeah. Well, I. I did some stupid stuff like um, thinking I didn't like I was thinking like animals don't need to don't brush their teeth. Like, why do I need to brush my teeth so much? So I, I, I still brushed, but maybe I didn't do a great job and it didn't take long for cavities to come. So I don't think it's the fruit, although, you know, there's acidic fruit like some mangoes can be acidic. Pineapples are acidic. So I stay away from anything that's acidic because that'll go eat right through your teeth. Because it's not the sugars that give you cavities, it's the acids. Mm. And the acids can come from sugars if you don't brush your teeth, you know? So, so yeah. So, what what are you sticking to now, primarily? Like, in, in just durian right now, and then when that season's done, what do you think, what's next? Oh, yeah, I'll have, you know, salads, banana shakes, um, you know, mangoes. It seems like you can always get good mangoes here. Yeah, you showed me that we had it at the... Avocados farm. are really good. Do you like the Thai avocados? I like these long, skinny ones. I think they come from Vietnam, though. Okay. But a lot of the Thai ones are no good. They're too hard. I think it's the moisture. Yeah, well, if you... You know the long, skinny ones I'm talking about? No. Like, they got a very narrow top. They're delicious, and they're cheap. Where, do, where are you getting I got those? them from Central last night, but I think they were like 120 a kilo. But if you get them on the street, I think they're only like maybe 80 a kilo. Okay, usually I was trying the, the 
Australian ones, but they're quite expensive. Oh yeah, they're like a hundred buck, hundred baht a pop. Hundred a lot. Hundred baht. You know, more than Canada, you get those. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's the climate here. The Thai avocados, they're uh, they're just. You, sometimes you can get some okay ones, but I end up using them just in smoothies. They're they're a bit watery. Yeah. Well, they don't have the fat content or the oil content. Yeah. As the other ones, but. Um, I feel like their Thailand is figuring out that there is money in avocados and they're planting more and they're getting selecting better variety because it's a tropical fruit. You know, it should grow here. It should grow well. I don't know if it was you telling me or someone else, but uh, they were talking to like an Australian Thai avocado farmer and they said it's a lot to do. You need that dry uh, temperature. And most of them, they actually come from the northern part of um of uh, australia okay yeah because uh, darwin's because it's so dry up there so you can grow them better up there well that's a similar climate than what we have here and he said that but in thailand it's the humidity and the moisture and that's why when you're eating the thai ones like you're tasting that like water well i heard there was a guy in chalong that's got a bunch of um a foreigner that's got a bunch of avocado trees that he sells and they're quite good interesting and being able to maybe you can set that up and actually buy them i'm seeing a lot of trees like around the island now huge massive trees especially like on the the pasak roads uh these like tree salesmen I'm, i've always wondered like what the hell is the cost of one of those they got to be like a million baht these ones that the they put in one. like they they actually move and replant yes yeah yeah those are very expensive yeah very expensive yeah they're ma- they're like 50 foot trees and I mean, just to move them around, it's going to be, it's not going to be cheap. Yeah. Much cheaper in Thailand than in other places. Yeah. So this one, uh, we'll go back to this durian here. And uh, actually, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you said the, there's an Instagram account, durian. What's the name of the account again? It's durian writer. Durian writer. Yeah. But she has a website called the year of the durian. Mm. And it's, um, I learned a lot from that website. You know, she's dedicated her whole life to basically like traveling the world following the durian season it seems like there's almost a durian season somewhere in the world every at all times of the year you know so it's heading south right now so it's it was in chanthanaburi which is kind of near bangkok and now it's heading now it's in phuket and now it's going south to malaysia and northern malaysia like penang and um and so she hosts these retreats, you know. So I'm going to go down there because not on her retreat, but just to see the durians because you can, um, there should be good durian everywhere, you know. And then the season goes even more south to Indonesia and then even northern Australia gets durians. And, you know, she went to um, Tanzania. You know where Tanzania is? Yeah, Africa. Yeah, they have durians over there as well because somehow somebody brought some durians way back in the day, like from Malaysia up to Oman down there. So it's, it's quite the, it's quite the fruit, you know, every, every one, every variety is different. You know, some are alcoholic, some are sweet, some are bitter. Yeah. I've been in Malaysia and, and the Chinese buy this up like crazy. Mm. And someone was telling me like, they have these king durians that can sell for like a hundred US dollars for one little piece. Like it's yeah. insane. Just because it's so rare, so difficult to get, so difficult to grow. And the Chinese will just come in and they'll pay whatever. Yeah, I, f- I forget the name of that one. It's a very famous um Muzan King is the name of that mm. that that Malaysian durian. It's very famous. And they've started to plant that in 
in Thailand too. And they have this in Nantanaburi, which is just north of Bangkok, where it's basically in Bangkok. They have durian, a durian farm there that sells durian for 10,000 baht per durian. And they get pre-orders on it. And they sell out before they've even, they're even ripe. Well, Thailand, are they known for the best durian in the world? No, because because Thailand cuts a lot of their durians off the tree because that's how Thais like it. They like it kind of firm on the outside and soft on the inside, whereas most everyone else, they like it like these ones where it's soft all over. This is perfectly ripe. So when people from Malaysia come here and they try the durians that Thais are selling, not these durians, but just like these mong tongs, these ones that have been cut from the tree, they don't like it at all. You know, that's why it gets a really bad reputation in terms of its durian quality. Yeah, that's what I was telling my girlfriend. I'm th- I thought Malaysia was known for the best durians. Yeah, it is. She's like, no, 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 it's Thailand. I'm like, maybe because no, you're no. Thai. <laughs> <laughs> but these ones, right, I've been to Malaysia a few times trying their durians. These ones in Phuket are as good as anywhere in the world, you know, and nobody knows about it. And they're selling for 50 baht, 40 baht a kilo. It's a really a, a secret that nobody knows about. Mm. So I told this lady to come here and try these durians because she's in Pongna now. Yeah. And I think she'll be pretty impressed. Yeah, I, I talked to them a bit, so I guess they'll be down here soon. They might jump on the podcast. Let's see. I'm sure they have. Not, they don't have that many followers on Instagram, but this is like a full-time job for them as well. Yeah, I think what they do is they export frozen durians. That they've selected from really good trees and really good farms here, and they'll sell them in Canada and the U.S. Are they Canadian? No. American, yeah. American, okay. Um, okay, before we wrap up the podcast, I forgot to, uh, we'll talk about that later. Um, just let, let's, for anyone watching that might have been watching the last one and now they're watching this one, um, you have your family, you kind of have, I, I used to say escape the rat race, you know, um, uh, escape the matrix. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm totally sold on that, that uh a cliche phrase now but it's andrew tate yeah and everyone's starting to use it now but you've you've you have kind of left that the 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 norm you know your kids are not going to the schools yet you've kind of raised them on your own i mean the other day we were visiting uh, kpmu Mm -hmm. and one kid's from the vr world and your child it's lawrence right yeah it's just like what the fuck's going on and immediately like it clicked for me like I get it. I get what you're doing. It makes mm. sense. Um, can you talk, if you're comfortable, talk a little bit about how you've decided to raise your children and your family and really not allowing like the bullshit of the outer world leak into that? Yeah. Well, there's a lot I could say on that, you know, but, but it's like if you don't raise your children, you know, somebody else is going to raise your children. And you don't have a lot of control about what they what they teach them, you know, especially if you look at virtual reality, you know, who knows what goes on there or, or the, or these cartoons, you know, these hidden messages, um, that they subliminal messages or what, what they're actually learning. So my kids, they, I don't give them the phones at all. And I, I don't even try to entertain them. You know, the other day, my, my wife goes out, she had to go somewhere and I'm looking after both children and it's just me and the children. And I'm just like, all right, guys, like, I'm just going to rest on the couch here. And they're one and five years old. And they do their own things. You know, they play. And I, I don't try and you know, play games with them and do all this stuff. It's like I let them explore. I let them learn on their own. And they're so smart, you know, which is, which is amazing. Because they can just figure things out on their own. And uh, 
you know, if they don't want to do something, for the most part, I don't force them unless it's like they really have to do it, like brushing their teeth or, or just like running out on the road or something. So, but for the most part, I just respect them, you know, what their wishes and and what they want to do. And, and I, I have a lot of faith that they're going to turn out okay, you know. What happens when they get to the age of maybe, do they need to go to a school system? What are your plans for that? Because now, yeah. as I, I agree with you, and I, I don't have kids yet, but we are planning. Uh, I'm a bit afraid, like, how with what's going on today, I would not want my chid, child in any school system. They're so fucked up. Well, I think Thailand schools are much better than what's going on in the West, you know, so... I wouldn't hate on somebody for, for sending their children to a school here, but there are a lot of nice schools. You know, there a lot of parents are just like you and me, and they they want them to go to, like, a Montessori-based school or more activity-based school, and they have a lot of options here. Now, um, I forget what I was going to say, but... Um, I guess, like, with the West and the schools and this the trans movement and the brainwashing. I mean, it seems like that's the, they're, the, the programming of these movements is more just they're trying to make it the cool trend within the schools and some sort of programming is going yeah, on. Yeah, well, they're, they're trying to, um, in the West, they're, they're exposing children to sexuality at such a young age, and they're trying to tell them that, hey, they can choose whether they want to be a man or a woman. And... That's so dangerous, you know, because they now you can get sex changes in the West now, sponsored, you know, without government or without parental permission, I believe. And once you do something like that, then it's really screwed up. But these children are so um, sensitive to what you tell them at such a young age that it's so dangerous to send them to a, a public school or even a private school in the West, you know, when they have crazy beliefs like that. Now, your wife is coming from Argentina. Is it happening there as well? No, no. Argentina is, doesn't mess around with bullshit like that. They're very, um, they're very politically incorrect down there, and they call it as they see it, you know. And they're still very religious. They haven't lost. Like, I think that's one thing that happened in the West is we lost our, our, our religion, and that's how we kind of got to allow such backwards things, you know, because it's very... Yeah, you, you were you were talking last time on the podcast of, uh, if I can't, I can't recall verbatim, but you you weren't as religious, and as you started to read read into it and listen to her, you realize maybe there's something there. Have well, have you sure. have you dug a bit deeper since the last time you came on? Well, I can't quite remember where my mind was at since last time I came on, but I do think that there there is some definitely some dark forces at play in the world, you know, and. Um, when you look at the sexualization of children, I mean, that's that's pure, um, that's right out of the satanic playbook. You know, this Baphomet um, guy that they, they idolize, he was all about sacrificing children and being both a man and a woman. So it's, it's just, um, I don't know what's going on in the West, but I don't want to have anything to do with it. You know, and I, if you look at... Um, you know, Christianity or even even Islam, you know, Andrew Tate's, he's Muslim now. I think these religions make a lot of sense, you know what I mean, if you stay to these values. Um, but if you just kind of go with what the media says and all this progressive 
bullshit. I think there's a lot of uh, terrible stuff that's going on there. Do you, do you think it's just another layer of divide and conquer? I feel my personal belief is that every six months, they're just like, what's the next characteristic trait that represents a human that we can divide and conquer? They go from race to religion, and now it's on sexuality. What's, what's next? Right. Is it going to be disability? Well, I, yeah, I think, I think they're trying to do that as well, divide people, you know, kind of get get us to hate each other, you know, black versus white and stoking fires amongst us, when, which really we don't need to do that. But also I think they're, they're trying to go after the children and really poison their brains when they're young, you know, get them to make a stupid decision or to believe stupid things when they're young. You know, like I read some of these children books that, you know, are in the libraries in the West because I do go back to Canada once in a while. And um, you just can't let your kid read these things. You know what I mean? Like they might have like lesbian mothers or two fathers or something like this, or just there's a lot of, um, a lot of poisoning the minds of the youth. Yeah. Yeah. I guess lo maybe losing the traditional values and for sure. And, and how it was maybe we have to go back. You know, the, the answer is not forwards, it's backwards, you know, it's to get back to our roots and get back to ourselves as, Get back to the land, you know. There was a back to the land movement in like the 60s, right? And um, we need something like that again, which I think is happening. Uh, that was crushed pretty quick. And I think that had a lot to do with the, the movement on, on stuff like psilocybin and LSD. And that was that, you know, the 60s the movement. And that disappeared probably for 50, 60 years. Well, and it was the reaction to the Vietnam War as well. And... Um, a lot of people didn't want to have anything to do with it. And then there was draft dodgers in the U.S. You know, a lot of them moved up to Canada. And um, Oh, I think you got to switch cameras. There we go. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to even think about, like, what, when your kids will be ready to go to school. And how closely will you monitor that? Like, when, if you put... Because by that time, you don't know if Thai school can change, how the international schools change. And do you kind of have a, have a backup plan? Like, if things are getting a bit strange there, what you're going to do? Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to a friend the other day. He thinks that this place isn't so, um, isn't so good for teenagers and, you know, adolescents because, you know, he was telling me stories about um, the drug use at, like, the, some of the international schools here. Like, teenagers they were like uh they drug test them at the british international school for example and they were saying that some children bring in clean urine on days they have to do drug tests because there's, there's that much drug use um so i mean i would ideally i would like to take them to like a small you know island or a village in canada somewhere um for when they get to like being teenagers because they can probably stay out of trouble more. But I don't think there's anywhere you can hide. I think you just have to give them the right values and be a good example for them and let them make some mistakes, you know, and hopefully those mistakes don't kill them. I wonder what it's like in Canada in these smaller towns and their education systems. If like the mass uh, media of education systems, like let's say your cities like Toronto or Vancouver, which are going to be very liberal, um, I'd be curious if you went, you know, Prince Albert, BC, has it reached there? I, I feel like that those, those public schools, they wouldn't let it get in. No, they wouldn't let it get in. That's right. Cause um, it's so small town, like. such a small town. Yeah. But it's, 
but in some of these hippie towns, like on the west coast of Vancouver Island, you never know, right? There's there's a lot of conservative people mixed in with a lot of hippies, and then who who knows what what they believe? But you just can't you just can't risk it, you know. Not until children are old enough to realize, okay, like this woman's just crazy, you know. If their teacher's crazy, for example. Yeah, it's kind of uh, along the lines is they should be ed- educated almost down the middle, mm. meaning like. Um, more fact-based and, and letting people make their decisions as they go. Now, you were talking about r- science is the new religion. Could you expand on that? Science is the new religion? Well, it's just something I say, you know, when people, when people talk about trusting the science. And um, I just, I don't believe a lot of it because a lot of it is, um, is, is funded, you know, by the people that have an agenda. And... Um, you know, real science is just about having a hypothesis and then questioning it and um, testing it. So, you know, I, I question the shape of the earth, you know, and people think, you know, ha- haven't we proven that? Well, that's what science is, is just questioning everything, you know. So I, I think there's no, the world now is like, you can be shamed for saying so many things, you know, it takes a lot of balls to say something as crazy as that, you know, and, and that shouldn't be, you know, you should be able to question everything, you know, like historical events, the shape of the earth, you shouldn't be shamed or be, be called names for, for these ideas that you may have, you know, and so I try and just, you know, that's something I just say, say to kind of refute. Yeah, you've, you, know, you took me down the path of, like, the mud floods. Mm-hmm. Is that something you still follow? The, I, think the, I think it was more focused talking about Tartarians. I tried to find information. It's very difficult to find anything, like, on YouTube. Well, it's very, like, uh, there's not a lot of information out there. There is, but it just doesn't get promoted too much. But, um, yeah, this, this civilization that's been basically hidden from history, you know, people can Google it, find old maps. Tartaria is what it's called. And it's just super interesting to look at our past, you know, because I think there's so much more going on there. It's like uh, Game of Thrones, you know. It's like Jon Snow. He was like this descendant from this um, royal bloodline or something. He had so much power in him, but he thought he was just an, a bastard and uh, adopted or whatever. Well, I think that's like us. I think as a civilization, we came for some very great people. You know, but we've been disconnected from our past so much that we think, oh, you know, we we actually evolved from fish or from monkeys. It's like, no, our ancestors were very, very powerful, very wise, very smart. You know, we didn't just evolve from fish or monkeys. That's just bullshit, you know. So I think there's an agenda to keep us down and, and keep us stupid. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, it is interesting, the fact that, the the libraries of Alexandria were burnt and all the information's hidden in the Vatican. Um, and, and these are the, the ancient texts, but no one can read them. Right. I think that there there's a red flag there. To go on your point of like the mud floods and the Tartarians, I don't know the answer to the mud floods. The only thing that 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 I I've tried to find out it's the the world exp, ex uh, the world fairs and the expos. Oh, yeah. The weirdest ones are the ones like in Chicago. And San Francisco. You, those are the ones for sure there's something hidden there because you can see the pictures from the, I think it's 1800s. Yeah. These, they look like uh, cities out of Rome. Yeah. So they built them for 10 years to rip it down the next year. Just a couple of years. Okay. They built so I, I don't know the answer, but that alone is like, 
Well, the, I, I, no, I, I, there's not enough. You'll never yeah. find the answer. It's impossible. I don't yeah. believe you'll ever figure it out. But it's the fact that, please, just go type in Chicago Fair. Chicago World's Fair, yeah. It's in, and they go, well, it was made out of plaster. I'm like. Yeah, paper mache, they say. Well, they say the whole thing was made out of paper mache in a couple of years for this big uh, expo. But some of the buildings are still there. And yeah. you go there and they're made of pure stone and they're massive. You know, um, if you look up uh, San Francisco, San Francisco is even more amazing because it's on the West Coast, right? So it's apparently like, you know, we you got there with horse and carriages. People just hiked across the country, you know, this. Um, the pioneers. Yeah, you the know, pioneers, right? They're going for the gold rush. I mean, they... You can, you can look up a building there. It's called the... Uh, um, Building of, I think. Well, I'm sure they can type in San yeah. Francisco. So. Yes, San Francisco World's Fair. It's like that big rotunda that looks like Rome or something, just in the middle of San Francisco. It's like, what is this? You know, it's like 50 feet high, pure stone. It's crazy. Yeah. I think well, uh, I'll end it there on that this note because... Yeah, people should really look at that. I, That's interesting. I went down that rabbit hole after you told me. I don't know if the mud floods are the answer. I don't know if it's Tartarian. The only thing I did know mm. was that that stuck out like a red flag. It's like, no, like, look at these World's Fairs in the U.S. I think they did that as part of history. Yeah. This is my theory. They found all these places, right? Mm. And who knows the story of what it really is. They needed a reason to rip them down. So they called it the Chicago's Fair. Oh, right. So that when everyone... And had a bunch came, of fires and stuff, yeah. I think, I think that's why they did those fairs. To bring everyone from the world to say, look what we just built or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then you can create your stories. Then you can write your history. Yeah. And then we rip it down. And then and then there's the, you know, like uh, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. All these guys are Freemasons. Well, you look at Freemason. It's like, what is Freemason? It's like Freemasonry, like free buildings, you know? So they we're inheriting these buildings, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the one conspiracy theory I... I well, I'll tell. I just mentioned one other one. I fin <laughs> I, I finished watching this flat Earth documentary, and at the end of it, right, these guys, because I don't want, I need to convince people of flat Earth here, but at the end of it, they were saying that probably one of the next things to come is going to be a, a fake alien invasion, you know. And I thought that was interesting. I just thought I'd mention that, you know, just in case it happens, you know. Remember here, I said it. Don't take it too seriously. Yeah, I think a lot of people I've been talking about, and that was because it was in the recent news, but I think what happened was everyone started to say that yeah and they backed out right i think it's kind of like you're calling the bullshit before it came sure get in front like, of it yeah and then they were like oh fuck well i guess we can't do that one yet and there i was think the, that's what's and happening. there was these clips of um who's the who was the president uh, in the 80s or something uh reagan yeah reagan he was going on and he was saying wouldn't it be so awesome if there was an alien invasion that could unite the whole world together it's like he said this multiple times. It's like, and I saw that clip for the first time. I was like, what? Like, what's he talking about? Yeah, I think, I think that's what a lot of, uh, when, when the, I think a lot of the unidentified saucers and they talk on Rogan. I don't believe it's aliens. I think, I honestly believe it's just super black ops U.S. intelligence because you have to understand, people don't understand. Why do we have computers? Why do we have this TV? That TV was invented probably in the 50s because of military research, and this is a byproduct. Mm. All our tech is byproduct of sure. mi military research, and we get it 20 years later. So 
whatever there you and, and I get that too. The US doesn't want the Chinese or the Russians with tech of their um you know non-propulsion flying systems. Right. Maybe the and and the aircraft people part of the army that saw that they just, they're hidden. They don't know. There's a very small group of people that oh, know yeah, it's going. compartmentalized. I it. really believe in, it's called Occam's razor. Mm. The most logical answer is probably the answer. Sure. And that flying system of these these aircrafts that are, you know, defying the odds of physics, mm. it's just, it's technology that we'll see in 30 years, but they, they're testing around with it now. For sure. That's what I think. These guys were also saying that, you know, extraterrestrials, if you look at that word, it's extra terra means extra terra means land right so extra extra land you know so these people could be from beyond the ice wall you know and just visiting you never know <laughs> we're gonna end it on that <laughs> beyond the ice wall okay that ends another uh, episode of the podcast let us know in the comments what you thought and if you want us to do do a whole episode on uh uh, eating durian and talking conspiracy. Maybe that's what this podcast turns into. <laughs> conspiracy and durian. <laughs> good one. Um, all right, Wade, thanks a lot for joining us. Now, I'm going to kick the camera back to them. Are you still taking on, like, uh, you want to talk about the, let people know if they want to find you for property management and they could reach out to you? Or are you kind of full? Yeah, I mean, if anybody's... that Stare deep into the soul of that camera. Yeah, if anybody wants me to manage their property, we'd be up for that. Um, we're also building some villas, you know, close to where my land is, you know, because I like it so much and it's right near the reservoir. Uh, you can reach out to me. Um, How could they uh, uh, connect? Yeah, you know, my company is called Lofty, you know, so loftypuket.com. You can look at that and just send me a message. I'm on the main page there. So, yeah, that's it. Awesome. Okay, we'll put all those links in the description. And uh, again, a big shout out to Five Star Marine. You can see them over there. Um, Sean Standing's Sean Standing from Five Star Marine is making this podcast happen. Um, there'll be a clip earlier in this podcast talking about that as well. So check them out. Link in the description. They're doing all private boat yacht tours. And don't forget to get your mushroom supplements. Uh, that's how I stay on fire during these podcasts. I got to say, stop saying ums and ahs, but hey, I try my best. Okay. Thanks a lot. We're out.